Lord, we look to you today. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your hand this reached down, Lord, to each one of us and touched our lives. We invite you today to be among us, and we look to you, Lord, for if you do not open up our eyes, we will never see. I pray, Lord, for a softening of the hearts, and that, Lord, you would be able to put within us, through your word, that which you desire. And we thank you so much that you are you're with us and you are in our lives. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to finish what I've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Uh, last week I thought I was going to be able to uh, complete it because I stopped in a, a critical point and really didn't finish what I wanted to show you. Let's begin in Matthew 25. Now in Galatians, Paul says in chapter 5, he says, walk in the spirit. And if you would look the word walk up, it's a verb, you would see that's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. And so we're commanded to walk, not after our own way, but walk in the spirit. And then a few verses later, it says, be led of the spirit, and you cannot walk you cannot be led of the Spirit without faith and what, without obedience to the Lord. Uh, we cannot be led if we are not going to obey. If we don't have a heart to obey, how can we receive the action from the Lord? That, that's a passive voice verb. In other words, the Lord gives you a direction. He gives you a leading. Now you... You're led by the Spirit, but now it's a choice to where we have to have faith. And many times we will not see and understand the direction God has for us or what he wants to do. We don't see a lot. All we need to see is what he's showing us. All we need to hear is what he's bringing to us. And then we, we by faith, you know, continue and by obedience do what it is that we know we are to do. Now, in Matthew 25, this is a familiar portion of Scripture. This is dealing with the ten virgins. And I actually want to read quite a few of these verses. And he, he begins in verse 1. He likens the kingdom of God to ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Uh, verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, normally oil in the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit. But if you actually look at this word oil in, in the natural thinking here for a minute, it's derived from olive oil. Whenever they, they used lamps back then, what they used to burn in them was olive oil. And olive oil is, of course, we know is pressed. It's a fruit. The olive is the fruit of the tree. And so what was it that they didn't take? They didn't take oil. Now, we know that he's, re he's referring to something in the natural, but the spiritual application is that there is to be a likeness. See, they didn't take 
the work or that which the Spirit of God wanted to do, they didn't obey the Lord in whatever that was. And we see as we continue on here that they, they didn't obtain oil. Their thinking was that it wasn't important to obtain oil beforehand so that when the Lord came, they would be ready. So what makes the foolish virgin foolish is their attitude toward obtaining something from the Lord, this oil, uh, this likeness, this character, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, um, that which the Lord leads them to, to, um, to buy, to, to obtain from him. Their attitude toward that in the very beginning here is what makes them foolish. The five wise virgins, they took oil with them. They took the work of the Spirit in their life, you could say, uh, with them. Uh, they responded to the grace of God that came to them personally, and that produced likeness, or that produced this oil. And so you can't have likeness and you can't have that which will prepare you without faith and without obedience. You just can't. It's just impossible. So what makes the foolish foolish is their attitude in this life of not obtaining certain things from the Lord. That will prepare their heart and life for his coming. So this parable here, the main thing in this parable is the union between the Lord and these virgins. That's the main thing. Now, before you get to that, there are other things moving here, and, and one of them is they didn't have this oil. Now, in verse 5, I've heard this before in various places from various people. Um, you hear it sometimes when people teach on this, that the reason why the five foolish uh, were not ready was because they weren't watching. It's, see, it's, it's about watching, being watchful. But see, that's really, it's true, but yet that's not really the crux of the matter because in verse 5 it says, but the bridegroom was delayed, or he tarried, and they all slumbered and slept. See, they weren't watching. They were all slumbering and they slept. See, so it's not about watching so much as it is about being prepared in the heart, in the spirit, uh, having the grace of God, you know, at work and responding to that grace of God in our lives personally will be what brings us to this place where we are prepared. So whether the Lord comes back now or in 20 years, in our lifetime or not in our lifetime, it doesn't matter because the heart is prepared. So at midnight, verse 6, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy. And so to buy, as we'll, I, I believe I brought that out last week in Revelation, to buy is not something that can 
be done immediately. See, it takes time. And that is why whenever the Lord came, the five wise virgins went in with him, and the five foolish virgins did not go in with him, because the five foolish virgins did not have time now to prepare or to get ready because it's not an immediate thing. You don't, you know, you're not ready immediately. There is a time element involved in other things, the, the uh, work of the Spirit of God, uh, the leading of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, all kinds of things that occur in the life in order to bring the heart to a place where they are ready. And so they went and buy. So they, they, they go and they're going to buy. They're serious now. They, uh, they see it. You know, the bridegroom came. Now they want to they get ready. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those that were what? Ready. See, you know, what made them ready? Well, the Lord makes them ready. Uh, through his work in their life. So those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. So you come down here, and then you see this word in verse 13, watch, therefore, but actually that means give your attention to it, and it means be ready. So the problem here was that they didn't have faith, the five foolish and they didn't obey the Lord's directives for them. And you see the same thing happen today where some uh, will have faith toward God and obey the directives from him to them. You know, walk in this way. This is, you know, what you need to do. You know, this is what I want you to leave off. This is what I want you to, to continue and pick up. All these different things that the Lord brings to us personally... Uh, will be what will, will make us ready. But faith and obedience are key in this. So in uh, Isaiah, just turn there for a minute, Isaiah 1, verse 19. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat of the good of the land, or the fat of the land. So there is to be a willingness, and you could say faith, and there is to be an obedience in order for there to be a partaking of the good or the fat of the land. So that the path to enrichment for you, the path of enrichment, will be the path of obedience. And then you could say, well, you know, what's obedience? Well, if you look up the word, it means carrying out the word and will of another or doing the will of God, which is another subject. But in many places that you have this word here, and the meaning in the Bible is not just to hear but there is to be a hearing and a doing. He that hath an ear to hear. Well, they heard uh, what was being said. You hear what's being said in the natural, but that's not it. He that hath an ear to hear 
what the Spirit saith. See, that's something different. And when there is a, a true hearing, what the Spirit saith, true hearing equals hearing and doing. They're not divorced from one another. They go hand in hand. And so there is to be a hearing and a doing. Hearing what? Well, Mark 4, 4, we know, says uh, that we are to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Proceeds in the Greek is a present participle, which you, you know and you've heard before. That means that you are to receive that which God is bringing to you today. You are to live by that which is presently proceeding from the mouth of God, whatever that may be. And that's where now you will have to have obedience and you will have to have, of course, faith. You will have to have obedience because you not, will not understand, you will not see, and sometimes you will not you know, even believe, Lord, what, what's this? I, I don't even understand this. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. But at your word, I will believe you, not seeing, I will believe you and I will obey that which I see you know, you're directing me in this way or that way. So the, those two elements there, again, are very important. That which is proceeding out of the mouth of God. Not just anything, because you have cults out there that take the Bible and they'll, they'll take this and they'll take that and they'll listen to this and listen to that. They'll, you know, they'll take, that's not what you are to live by. You are to live by what is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God to you on a personal level. And of course, again, you know, the Lord must teach you how to walk in the Spirit. That's just something that Christians must learn. It's crucial for their development. So let's turn to Romans 3. Excuse me, Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 2. Or we can go to verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. So you see this again. Faith is in the picture. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. So we have access by faith into this grace. So we are to stand in grace and we can only stand in grace when we uh, uh, access that area by faith. Then he goes on in the verse, and he says, um, "And rejoice in the hope of glory and of the glory of God." So, without faith, we faith we don't have access to grace. And when you have this faith and you have grace. God will bring to you what is needed, and then you have the hope of the glory uh, of God. And, and I believe Paul is referring here to the glory of God, the hope of that being deposited in the Christians. The sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory shall be revealed, revealed in you. So it's, it's dealing, I believe, with the grace of that brings the glory as you respond 
in obedience, he brings the glory and deposits, deposits it in you. So once again, your obedience to the Lord, personal obedience to him, will bring enrichment. You cannot be enriched without obedience. It's impossible. It just, can't, it just doesn't happen. And then in, in Corinthians it says that you were enriched in everything by him or in him is the Greek. Uh, and that will be the place uh, where you will be enriched as you are in him and you are obedient in that place, in Christ, in him, then enrichment comes. You are enriched in everything. He does all kinds of things in your life. Some you're aware of and some you may not be aware of. Now in Revelation 3, verse 17. This is the church to the Laodiceans. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. So they were, in their estimation, uh, well off. They were probably materially well off. Or possibly they thought that the Lord had enriched them and they were, you know, wealthy. But he says here, he says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the Lord hones in on their spiritual condition. So one can have you know, wealth in the natural, and one can think that, okay, I go to church, I read the Bible and all these different things, that I'm, I'm all right. And Jesus comes to them and he says here, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and so forth. Their estimation of their spiritual condition was what much different than the estimation that the Lord brought out here of their spiritual condition. So he counsels them in verse 18 to buy of him or buy from him gold tried in the fire. And in, there's a verse in Hosea that says, Israel boasts, I am rich, I made my fortune all by myself. And so their attitude is very similar to what you see here with the Laodicean church where they thought that they were rich, but Jesus says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. So there is to be an enrichment in the life of Christians. But according to what Jesus says here in this verse, verse 18, that the riches or the enrichment does not come just any way. There are other ways, yes, but he says if you want to buy certain things, you're going to have to purchase them in the fire. So there must be a fire that we're in or God being faithful, the Lord is faithful to you, he's faithful to me, and through his leading, the leading of the Spirit, he will bring us into different circumstances in order to enrich us. That's where we're going to buy 
gold. And so this takes time. The purchase of gold takes time. You don't get that right away. That is why, back with the five foolish virgins, they, you know, were out of the picture because, you know, they, the time had passed. The Lord came. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. They didn't go into the fire. They wanted their life to be the way they wanted it to be. They didn't want to experience any bumps in the road. They didn't want to have any problems. They didn't want to have any troubles. And so they directed their life in the way away from that which brings trouble, which is the gospel, if you understand what I'm saying. You know, you, you preach the gospel, you teach the gospel, you live, you walk with God, and what you encounter many times is trouble. Trouble comes. And the Lord ordains that you be enriched through certain ways. Now, I understand this isn't a pleasant thing to hear, but it's the only way. It's the true way. And I believe that many Christians today are not enriched because they go their own way or they're in their own thinking or the way they think the gospel is, rather than learning from him, being a disciple, a follower, a learner, and walking with the Lord, because if you look at the life of Jesus Christ and you see the disciples followed him, every single one of them had to deal with certain things. Trouble came their way. And of course, the Lord was there with them, yes. But why? Why all that? Why? why? What's, what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is this enrichment here. One of, the, one of the purposes is enrichment. And the method by which the Lord uses is not popular. That's why many of the megachurches do not teach certain things. They'll teach certain aspects of the gospel to the neglect of other aspects of the gospel. And I guarantee you that if certain things were preached, there would be a sifting. There would be a removal of those whose heart is not following God for what he, uh, or what he, not what he is, but who he is, not so much for what he gives. So in 1 Peter, this is a, another familiar scripture. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial, the King James says, New King James says that the genuineness, see the trial is to bring a genuineness there, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. See, there's that gold again. It's more precious than the, the natural gold. See, there's a spiritual gold that the Lord is interested in. Though it be tested, though what be tested? Try, tried. What's going to be tried here? Well, your faith. Your obedience is even tested, you know. 
that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the uncovering or at the manifestation of Jesus Christ. So there is a testing of the faith by fire. That's two places here we see that, tested by fire. And who wants the fire? No, we don't want the fire. None of us do. But whether you want it or not, you know, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you find yourself in circumstances that are difficult. The advantage that we have is that the difficult circumstances God can use and put us in that fire and test our faith so that something is developed there there is an enrichment in the life, and there is something now of value that was not there before, and that value here is, you know, the riches, the, the glory, and, and all these different things uh, that the Lord wants to do. Now, well, I was going to say something else, but I'll, I'll wait. Now, back in Revelation, you don't have to turn there. Revelation 3.18, Jesus says, buy of me. See, so this spiritual gold here is an enrichment, or you could say the Lord deposits in your life. See, there, the purpose of coming to church is not to come to church. You know that, right? The purpose of walking with the Lord is not just to walk with the Lord and say you're a Christian. See, there is an immediate purpose here, and that is, first of all, to bring enrichment into the life. That's throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Abraham went through a lot of different things. See, you know, his faith was tested. His obedience was tested. Take your son up to Mount Moriah. So, you know, why? Why go through all the things that Abraham went through? Well, because he was the father of faith. Well, that's not the reason, the whole reason. You can see that in his life, there was a, a progression. He was enriched. You see this with Joseph. You see this in particular with Job. Job had something in God. There was no one like Job in all the earth. But yet, the latter end... Job was greatly enriched compared to the beginning. So the Lord has purposes here, you see. Now in 2 Corinthians, let's go to Corinthians here. Second Corinthians 4. There are steps to enrichment, and one of them is buying this gold. That is, is a step to enrichment. Another one here is seen in 2 Corinthians 4.7. But we have this treasure. Right before this, he talks about, verse 6, he talks about the glory of God. See, he talks about the light shining out of darkness. 
who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So there is a, a, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Not so much that we know what the glory is, but that there, there is an, a knowledge that's brought to you uh, that that glory there is to be deposited in your life. See, that's the knowledge, I believe, he, that the Lord wants to give. But verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure is he talking about? Well, I believe he's talking about the glory from verse 6. That the excellency, and this is what I want to show you, this is a step of enrichment for you, for me, for any Christian. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the step here is that you must have faith and obedience to him so that this power to bring the glory is of him and you have nothing to do with it. In other words, it's not of your doing. See, you can get up and preachers can have something and then they can get up and, and use their gift. For example, if someone's very eloquent in speech, they can use that, that gift and use it in the natural and use it to actually get certain things from people rather than the power being of him. See, so, so there is this, um, this power. There is the hand of the Lord that moves in spirit to where the work, the thing that is done, is of him and not of you. So that, that, if that's functioning in the life, there will be enrichment that, that will come. It, was, it, it just it has to, it will. Now in 2 Corinthians 6, now I didn't want to stop last week, and I had to, but we talk about the enrichment. The Lord wants to enrich your heart and your life. You know, the, the purpose of the gospel, one of the purposes, is to bring a richness to the person. When you respond initially, you start this process of being enriched. So that after you walk with the Lord five years, ten years, twenty years, and I mean walk with him, you have faith and you're obedient to him in his specific dealings in your life, then you find out that there, there's something that the Lord has done within you uh, in various areas that, you know, when you look back, when you first became a Christian, you know, that, was, that wasn't the case. For, for example, you may have had a problem with anger, or you may have had a problem with alcohol. I mean, who knows? And you first, you know, come to the Lord, and that particular thing, you may think it's de dealt with, and it's okay, and then you walk for five years or so, and all of a sudden, that anger just comes out. 
that just explodes in you. Well, what happened? Well, that, that's been there all along. The Lord just kind of just covered that and held it down. So now it comes out, and now he wants to deal with it. And so as you continue on, he takes certain things out of the way. You know, your ability to do it, he takes that out of the way. He takes all these things out of the way. So that the power is not of you any longer, it's of him. So there is an enrichment, and God has ordained through the gospel that you be enriched. But the purpose of enrichment here is not just for you. It's not just for you. Yes, the Lord will enrich us. But that's not the end of the matter. That actually is to be the beginning of the matter. So that as you are enriched, now you have something to enrich the hearts and the lives of those you come in contact with. So that the power now is not of you, it's of him. Of him. And so in 2 Corinthians here, chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, Paul is saying, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So Paul became poor. Do you think that Paul had some natural abilities? Oh, yes, he did. We see one, he was a tent maker. You see another... He, has, he had an ability to write. And, you know, being a Pharisee initially, he could have had profit in his life. Uh, he could have had honor from the religious people. He could have actually made money, you see, with his natural abilities. But he says, as poor, and that's the road he went. You know, put things aside, become poor, so that the Lord now can enrich, so that as he goes on, he says, yet making many rich. So you are to be poor, you know, poor, poor, poor. And I don't mean financially. I mean, poor, you can't, you know, lift up your hands and, and function without the Lord. See, that's being poor. You know, you put all your natural abilities aside. Not that the Lord can't use those. He picks them up when your heart is right, and he brings them back over. He says, okay, now, here, Paul wrote. Now it's in the proper context. So it's, it's you, you become poor. And how do you become poor? How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you, you walk with God... He humbles you. He brings you down. He brings you into the fire. He does all these different things to deal with you and to do something in you that, that we are not capable of doing 
so that we are brought into this place where we are poor. We can't do it. We can't function without Him. And so now He has something to work with because we have rolled everything over to Him and we know we don't have it within us, within our, our natural abilities to do anything. And so He says, as poor yet making many rich. So the Lord will enrich those with this attitude, with this heart that are poor, so that you can make others rich. See, it's not all about you. See, if we stop and we don't give, then it becomes about us. And then the enrichment, oh, I have this from the Lord, I have that from the Lord, and I have this testimony, and the Lord did this for me. Well, that's fantastic. But there must be an outlet, and the Lord will bring it. He'll bring an outlet. You know, you think that Jim likes to preach. He's mentioned many times that he, you know, he could have been down Florida on a yacht. Who wants to be buffeted? Who wants to teach? You think I like to teach all the time? No. It's, <laughs> I do it because the Lord has shown me to do it. But I don't, I mean, I, I could sit down and sit down for the rest of my life. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? You know, you just... The Lord does things. He enriches you, but there has to be an outlet for that. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not talking about being a preacher. I'm not talking about standing up in here and teaching necessarily. I'm talking about the enrichment that you have, that the Lord wants to use you to touch someone, to say something to someone, whatever, whenever the opportunity arises. You know... That's what the enrichment's for. Making, yet making others rich. The word rich in this verse, um, 2 Corinthians 6.10, is 4148, Strong's, and low and neat as lexicon defines the word rich here is, this is very, very good, to cause someone to become rich. <laughs> I looked it up and I said, wow, <laughs> the Lord tucks these things away. So making others rich here, making many rich. It says the word rich means to cause someone to become rich. And you say, that's the purpose of your enrichment. Now turn to chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to show you here the pattern. I believe we know the pattern, but I want to show you the pattern anyway. Chapter 8, verse 9. So Paul says, <clears throat> excuse me, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So we know that, right? We know the Lord was, was rich. So he comes to earth. He lays that aside. He puts that aside. And... That now does not 
become the, the focus, you see. He puts that aside, he comes to earth, and he's born in a manger. And now he has to depend upon the Father now to enrich him in this life, in this earth. And, and you see that he's, he's in, at age 12, he's teaching. Well, where did he get what he got? That's what they said. For, even later when he entered his ministry, where did this man get this? Where did he get it? Well, see, he was enriched by the Father so that he could make others rich. So here you see, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for you, he became poor, that you, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So when you become poor, Whenever you depend upon the Father, then now he enriches with uh, the, the purpose of you enriching, other, enriching others. So you become poor. See, you, you don't do your own thing. You choose not to do what you would like to do. You become poor in that. And then the Lord enriches you so that through your poverty, you can enrich others. You can give them the light and the life. And I'm just not talking about initially, of course, that's true. But even Christians who are in the dark in many things, now you come around and the Lord possibly can use you to enrich them. See, that's the pattern. But we don't want to go down. We don't want to be poor. You know, we don't want to go in a fire. We want to do what we want to do. Well, if we do what we want to do, the enrichment will not be there. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. There's no enrichment. It's just there. Okay, you're saved. You're, you're there. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That's the enrichment. So, you know, there has to be this thing that, that, that takes place and transpires in your life and in your heart that has to happen. So the purpose of God enriching you, and he has his ways, as we talked about, is that you would become poor that you might enrich others. That you, through his poverty, might become rich so that others, through your poverty, might become rich. And in Revelation, it says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. He says that to a different church. Let me read a couple more verses here. Colossians, you don't have to turn there, 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. Okay, that's nice. And he goes on, he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs and so on. So the enrichment there, the word of God, let it dwell in you richly. Now it's to come out. 
He'll lead you. He'll bring someone in your path. He'll open up a door for you to say something or to teach someone, whatever it may be. And then in Timothy 6.18, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. So you see that there's an outpouring of that. Now I want to read 2 Corinthians uh, 9.10 from the Amplified. You don't have to turn there. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources, sowing and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way, so that you can be generous. So in other words, there is an outpouring from your life to others. See, so the work of the Spirit is to, first of all, enrich the Christian, to enrich the believer, to enrich the heart, to enrich the life. And then secondly, through that enriched Christian, he is to enrich others. Let's go to, in closing, Ephesians. Ephesians 3, verse 8, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship. Did you see that? Did you catch that? He talks about Paul, talking about the unsearchable preaching to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, he was enriched. And he sees the the richness in the Lord. And he says here in verse 9, to make all see. So see, there's there's an outpouring from Paul. What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. See, So there's the, the outpouring. It's not just, you know, I have it, and that's the end of the matter. No, it's good that you have it. That's that's the will of God. Uh, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. But there is to be an outflowing of that which God gives you and that which he deposits in you. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be, he meaning Jesus, Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? See, when you have uh, these different individuals who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay. If, if that is correct, there is a, and I say if it's correct, there is an enrichment in their heart and life that qualifies them for the Lord to put them in this position. And then when they're in that position now, you see the next verse, for for the purpose of, you could say, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, so there, there isn't to be this me thing. There is to be a him thing. It's about him. And the enrichment... Is just not for us. 
as the one, uh, the one verse says in James, where you pray, you, know, you, you consume it upon your own lust, your own desires, um, you know, rather than you know, the purpose of God. Your, your prayer is an answer. God doesn't give you certain things. So the Lord desires very much so that we be enriched. You know, that's one of the purposes of coming to church. You know, it's not just to warm a pew. That's not the reason. You come to church, it says, forsake not, not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. And, and much more as we see the day approach. But forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because you're supposed to be around other Christians. Well, you know, just look at the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians, and you'll see that there is an outpouring. The purpose of assembling together is the enrichment. The Lord enriches through vessels, you know, through His you know, Spirit, uh, through his walking along and through the aisles or, or whatever, there is to be an enrichment. And that enrichment, though, to be what it is to be, correct. We must have a heart to give to others, to help them, to enrich them, uh, to teach, to you know, rebuke, to do whatever the Lord is specifically saying what's proceeding out of his mouth. That enrichment is to come out. And the Lord will make, as he always does, he makes opportunities for us. So that when the opportunity comes for you, no matter how big or how small it is, you know, speak forth. And I, I like it when the Lord uses me sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's not so pleasant whenever you say something to someone and you re, they're, they're rejected. And you can expect that sometimes. But remember this. Not everybody rejects. Not everybody. So, you know, the one person that doesn't reject what you say and receives the Lord or receives um, some truth, it makes the 50 that reject makes it worth it that one person responds and they become enriched. Amen.